0: We're going to look at Nehemiah 3, we're in this, uh, this uh, series on the book of Nehemiah. And so far we have uh, got through the call of Nehemiah to come back to Jerusalem and build the wall uh, for, that had been broken down for about a hundred years. The people of uh, the Jewish people were living in reproach and shame, and he felt like, not on my watch, I've got to go and, 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 and lead this effort. He travels the 982 miles over to Jerusalem, he arrives, he surveys the situation. He speaks to the crowd and inspires them, and in chapter 3, the work begins. Now, I want to ask you, have you ever had an experience where you found yourself doing something you never thought you'd be doing? I mean, you're right in the middle of it, and you thought, I don't think I ever imagined myself doing this. I had one of those experiences this week. There were five of us from this church who attended a conference in Dallas, family ministry conference, uh, three of my staff, and, and Kayleen, our children's uh, worship director. And at the end of one of the sessions, uh, you've been to these conferences before where they give away stuff, you know, at the end of the session, and they were going to give away a book, and the, the guy raises the book up, and he says, if you're a youth pastor here today, I want you to know that the first one that gets to the stage gets this book, what do you think happened? Youth pastors. It was mayhem. I tell you what, uh, Brian was with us, and he didn't have a chance. I mean, uh, I mean, oh, I should be nice right here, but they're all younger than him. No, uh, um, he gave it his best effort, but no way was Brian getting that book. Then they said, they held up another book, and they said, if you're an executive pastor here, first of the platform gets a book. And all these executive pastors get up and they make the way that this guy got his book. And then you know what's coming. And I got my staff there. And uh, then they say, lead or senior pastors, and they held up this book. Now, we were sitting on the front row of the back section. And he says, I changed my requirement for this one, he says, I want somebody from the back section only for this book, and I thought I got a chance. (laughs) And so, I took off (laughs) in a full sprint down the row of the conference. And I never looked back, but I think they were gaining on me. I don't know. <laughs> and, um, and it was like this. I mean, the guy, I'm coming down this way, and the guy's holding out his book like the finish line, like the checkered flag, you know. And, uh, and I come running across there, and I thought, there's no way I'm stopping. There's no way I'm slowing down. I'm grabbing that book on the way through. And, man, I, hit the, I got that book. Uh, in my hand full speed, and then I noticed something. There was this huge TV monitor sitting (laughs) right in my path. And my reflexes kicked in, and in my best form, I hurtled. I did. You don't believe me, do you? I went right over that TV monitor, absolutely no problem. It was just the coming down that was the problem. I kind of disappeared from sight, you know? I kind of fell down. I know. And you know if that wasn't humiliating, there was about 2000 two people there, okay? <laughs> but you know what hurt the worst is getting back to my seat and my four friends. <laughs> Former friends. By the way, you want to know the title of the book that I got? (laughs) No kidding, First Aid for Emotional Health. (laughs) Somehow I knew you would enjoy that (laughs) at my expense, yeah, Uh uh-huh. So have you ever been doing something you never thought you'd be doing? Okay, settle down. Take a breath. We're in the third chapter of Nehemiah, and these people are building a wall, something they never thought they'd be doing. They'd lived with a broken wall all these years, the rubble. And this whole chapter of chapter 3, I mean, it's 30-some verses long. You look at it, and uh, you if you just peruse it real quickly, you'll see that this is a long list of people. And I'm just going to read some of the highlights so that I don't uh, give you the whole list because it would take a lot of our time today. Verse 1, then Eliashib, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the tower of the hundred and the tower of Hananel, verse 10. Next to them, Yedeiah, the son of Harumaf made repairs opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaniah, made repairs. Verse 23. After them, Benjamin and Hashub carried out repairs in front of their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Masaiah, son of Ananiah, carried out repairs beside his house. Verse 29. After them, Zadok, the son of Imar, carried out repairs in front of his house. And after him, Shamaya, the son of Shekaniah, the keeper of the east gate, carried out repairs. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. And after him, Mashulam, the son of Berekayah, carried out repairs. In front of his own quarters. Yes, I practiced that over and over and over. You know, Alan Redpath writes this about this this whole chapter. He says, beginning at the sheep gate of Jerusalem, these verses take us on a tour clockwise from the west to the north to the east and back again south to the sheep gate. If you took that tour in your imagination, you would see every man at his appointed task because there were no shirkers and no grumblers. All were united in their objective to get the wall completed. He adds this, how irresistible a church would be with an army of workers like that. It is for oneness of objective and happiness in the task allotted to us with absence of friction and discontent that we must ever work and pray. And I say amen. You know, the conference that we went to this past week was all about how the church family functions together. It's how parents pass on truth to their kids and how the church family comes alongside the home and the families of their church and assists them and helps them. And It was about seniors investing their lives in younger people and how the body of Christ just works together to be the very image of Christ. And the first point that I would make from this list in the chapter 3 is that God's work is a shared work. And I would say always, God's work is a shared work. We are a piece of a puzzle, a larger puzzle. There's no way that Nehemiah was going to build this wall by himself. He was going to need to rally the troops, God's people. And when they work together towards this God-given vision, we must repair the wall, the wall of salvation. We've been a reproach, living in shame. There's just no limit to how God's power could influence their their work, fill their work, empower their work. I, I don't... I don't even have to say this. I think we all know this. A healthy church is a church where everyone is valued. Everyone knows that they are significant. Everyone knows that they have this unique gifting of God, a place to feel in the body. Everyone contributes, no matter how old, no matter how young. It functions like a family. And because of these family relationships, this common shared love, this encouragement, this usefulness, spiritual growth happens. I love the description of the church in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 15 and 16. It says this, Speaking the truth in love, talking to the church, we are to grow up in all aspects. We, together, are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head of our church, even Christ. From whom? From Jesus Christ, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint, that's every one of us, supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, and it is this that causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. When it says causes the growth of the body, it's not talking about numbers, folks. It's talking about this spiritual thing that happens in our life where we become more conformed to the image of Christ with each and every passing day. Relationships that are based in Christ just give life. (laughs) They help us believe in a God who's loving because we experience His love through people. We know we're valuable because we're filling a place, a, a designed place in the body. Reserved specifically for us. Now, I believe today that people... Let me ask you, do you think people today want to know the truth? I mean, even if the truth is not good, do you think people want to know the truth? And God can use us to help people understand God's grace, God's truth, how they're completely accepted into His family. They don't have to measure up. They don't have to earn it. It is freely given. We need people to understand. We need to teach them their identity in Christ, that they have been transformed out of darkness into light. The old is gone. The new has come. Quit seeing yourself as a sinner, just hanging on till Jesus comes, and see yourself as a saint filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Don't base your value based upon your performance, but base your identity and value on Him, Jesus. Oh, we need to teach these things so that God has space to work in people's lives and transform the way they live and the things that they struggle with. uh. But you know, I believe people have a deeper need than even knowing truth. I think people want to be loved. Let me ask you, Has the church ever been unloving in its presentation of truth? <laughs> well, this isn't in my notes, so this is dangerous. I'm wandering away. OK? Um, I went to this conference uh, this session with Sean McDowell, Josh McDowell's son, you know, and he says it's, uh, it's an atheistic presentation, and he put on his atheistic glasses, and he debated the crowd as an atheist. And so, he took questions from the Christians about, you know, apologetics, the faith, and challenged his atheism. And what do you think occurred as the hour went on? Now, he's a lot smarter than everybody else in there, right? And he began to defend atheism just incredibly well. And how did the Christians respond? growing frustration growing discontent growing anger and growing hostility and it was a it was a valuable lesson to everyone there that the world is not going to hear our message unless they know that we absolutely 100% love them care about them And when you have truth completely wrapped up in grace, it is powerful, powerful. There's an interesting couple of verses in Hebrews. It says this, and let us consider, famous verses, how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I mean, do you think about how you can stimulate each other in the body of Christ towards love? Encouraging people that they have it, what what they have the gifting of God for good deeds and for impact in their family, in their kids' life, in the community. There is something very life giving about being loved. This past week, as I said, I spent three solid days with uh, with me, Ann, and Cheryl, and Brian, and from our staff, and Kayleen over here from our children's church, and uh, the five of us traveled to Dallas and back together. We ate meals together. We sat together in sessions. We talked about ministry and important things and did a whole lot of laughing together It was stimulating. It was encouraging. It was... You've all experienced it, haven't you? Those times in the body of Christ where it's just so rich. I've heard some of you tell me stories about uh, visiting the eastern part of our state to help with the hurricane, and some have been down to Austin to help with uh, ADRN's effort down there. And uh, you tell me your stories with this gleam in your eye, and it's like it was just, it was just the greatest thing. It was the greatest thing to be able to work? It was the greatest thing to muck out a house? Of course it was, because you're encouraged with those you're working with, and there's just something stimulating. You're loving the people that own the place. You know, in the verses I read in chapter 3 there, You heard the same phrase, and I picked those verses on purpose, you heard the same phrase over and over that each person repaired the wall where? (laughs) Near their house. God's work, doesn't it always start at home? Again, Alan Redpath writes, the witness of Christian people is no more effective anywhere in public than it is at home. Here then is the starting place for all of us. A church is no stronger than its homes. For a church is made up of families. He says, as we pray for God to bring revival to our churches, I want you to think of it here in terms of homes. Homes on fire for Jesus Christ will make a church on fire for Jesus Christ. You know, the theme of the conference was um, was a fraction, one over 168. That was the theme. And under the fraction, they had this phrase, it's not enough. What do you think 168 stands for? <laughs> Hours in a week, seven times 24, hope that's right. And he's saying, devoting one hour of that week to the spiritual development of your kids by sending them and taking them to church is what? Not enough. There was this constant focus on on how to unite the church and the home to be able to spiritually disciple, not even just the next generation, but parents, grandparents. Grandparents. One speaker, uh, she said that she wanted to do this. She saw the one over 168, she read the book, and uh, I don't know, any of you feel like this when you read something like that and you go, oh, I feel so guilty. Oh, I wish I could do that. And she's praying to the Lord and she says, you know, I got these three little kids and I'm trying to raise these kids and... Now you want me to sit down with them every day and have some kind of faith talk and disciple them? And the guilt just poured through her heart and her life, and uh, one day she's praying about this, and uh, it's as if the Lord just kind of opened her mind and said this, I don't want you to start new activities. I just want to be included in things you're already doing. Think about that for a minute. And so she's brushing her teeth and says, God, do you want to be included in this? And he says, yeah, I sure do. And she started thinking, how can I invite Christ into this activity? And she thought, you know, I'm standing in front of this mirror and in just a few moments, my kids are going to be standing in front of this mirror. And so she went and got a stack of post-it notes and she wrote a verse on those post-it notes and a word of encouragement and just stuck it on the mirror (laughs) the next day she comes to brush her teeth and there's a another sticky note there it says thanks mom she says I'm probably the only house in the world now that has different color sticky notes for every kid And a mirror that you have to kind of move around so you can see. She said, Jesus, I want you in everything that I do. And the next generation is being discipled. And I would contend that Jesus would prefer to be included in everything you are already doing. Than having just fifteen to thirty minutes of your uninterrupted time in the morning. Oh, did he really say that? Oh, he loves those uninterrupted times, doesn't he? He loves those moments alone with you. But Jesus wants to be in the middle of everything that you're doing. And the question that I come away with is saying, how can how can I include Christ in this? That I'm doing now. How can I include Christ as I drive down this busy road? How can I include Christ when I'm sitting there with my four-year-old grandson and we're watching some ridiculous cartoon? <laughs> In the passage, the last verse I read, is the last phrase is from verse 30, which says, after him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, carried out repairs in front of his own quarters. And you have to understand this word quarters here, it actually means a cell. It's referenced to a small, insignificant place. All the other descriptions of where people lived in the whole chapter is house, a different word. It's as if Nehemiah, the author here, wants us to know that Mashulam's place was different than the other places. It was tiny in comparison. Everyone was working around their homes. Some, no doubt, had bigger homes than others, but everyone is taking responsibility for theirs. And there was Mashulam with his tiny little spot of the wall to build and I would offer this, God's work is more about the people than the project. There's no insignificant role in God's people. I mean, if you imagine yourself being mashulam and you have your little part, you may be thinking about, oh, everyone seems to be able to accomplish so much more with their family, but there you are, probably alone and single and But this is your thing. This little spot is your responsibility. Nobody else is going to do it. If you don't do it, Meshulam, there's going to be a breach. There's going to be a deficiency. It reminds me of the famous passage in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm just going to take the time to read it. I think we need to hear this every once in a while. Verse 20 says, But now... There are many members, but one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are what? Necessary. And those members of the body which deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked so that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, what? All the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And here's something I want to impress upon us. The body of Christ includes children. Amen. I'll go a step farther, further. The body of Christ includes teenagers. Amen. The body of Christ includes those that are disabled. It includes those who are elderly. The body of Christ includes the poor and the rich and the skinny and the not-so-skinny. The body of Christ includes those hyper-ADD people, amen. It includes different races of people. It includes people that speak different languages. The body of Christ includes Presbyterians. Lutherans. Charismatics. Baptists. We... We need each person. And beyond that, it says we are to give more abundant honor to any member that lacks. When we show a child that they matter to us, and we stop them when they're running down the hall and say, I love you. You're a part of us. We let them see Christ in us and we want to see Christ in them. and We're all built up. We're all growing up into him who is the the Christ, the head of the church. If one of them is hurting, we all hurt. When one is honored, we all rejoice. Our brother, our sister. Can I just share my heart with you this morning? Don't vote against it because I'm going to, right? One one thing that came home to me crystal clear this past week is that I need to see all that God has brought into this church. I need to lead more effectively. That there is so much that God has prepared us for, there's so much that He wants to share with our community. I just stopped and thought about you. He has given us some remarkable people here, hasn't He? I mean, absolutely remarkable people who genuinely love the Lord, love His mission, want to see His mission accomplished. God has brought us uh, amazing kids, amazing kids. We have the, I think we have the greatest teenagers great parents god has brought us these amazing seniors who have this genuine love for christ and his work and i don't really know all of the ins and outs of what the future looks like but i'm here to tell you i think god is genuinely up to something i do i mean there are so many reasons i could give to you but i'm just going to give you one reason in particular that i know that god is up to something Because the enemy wants to discourage us. The enemy wants to discourage me. You know, this past Tuesday was when Matt declined our offer. It was also the day that we had problems with the water in the church, it quit flowing. It's a bad thing when the water quits flowing. We also had a few situations in people's lives that just erupted and there was difficulty. It was on Tuesday where I received the offering report from last Sunday, the smallest in a long time no pressure. I walked in here. I wanted to see, well, this will encourage me. I want to see how many bricks people had written on. Huh. Very few. And all of this was on Tuesday, and I, 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 I knew I was going to be gone the next three days at this conference. And there was this all-out attempt by the enemy to discourage But i got to tell you, and I said it before, God knows what He's doing. Do you believe that? God knows what He's doing. And God even allows situations to occur in our life because He knows what He's doing. He helped me see that this was an attempt to do exactly what I was letting it do. He exposed the deceiver. And it put me actually in the right frame of mind to receive the truth that I heard this week. That God is planting seeds in this church, that He will grow, He will bear the fruit. And that the enemy does not appreciate it one little bit. I don't think there's a person here today that would say, I really don't want to make any difference with my life, right? None of us would say that. People want to belong to a work that changes the world. We've been building this, this wall like I said, it's going kind of slow. I'm just going to keep preaching Nehemiah until we get done here, okay? It's up to you, right? Many of you have told me you're thinking about what to write on the brick, and we've asked you to seek the Lord, to hear His heart for the broken and where He might be burdening you, and write it on a brick. It can be anything, that makes you say, not on my watch. It's something that motivates you to the place of surrender before God, that I must make a difference. He's calling me. It can be just about anything that Satan is using to destroy people. False theology, broken marriages, foster kids, human trafficking, lonely, isolated teens... Racial tensions, generational poverty, the list goes on and on and on. There's so much brokenness today. And maybe today's the day, you've just been thinking about it, you just know, I just want to say, I want to put this stake in the ground today. I recognize that God is moving in my life and in my heart. Here's my brick, I want to be a part of God's work. I want you to bow your heads with me. You know, any great work of God begins with people just declaring a need for Him. i thought about this. If we're going to keep every one of our kids strong in the faith, and I, I pray about this a lot. Oh, Lord, I want our kids to grow up and leave this church and go out into the world strong in their faith. If we're going to prepare them to encounter the false beliefs all around them today, we're going to need the very power of God. If we're going to repair broken things, we will never be able to make a difference without Him at the center of everything that we do, and we need Him. And I want you to join me in this kind of collective crying out to Him. Jesus, we need You. We need Your plan. We need Your people, Your heart, Your will for our church. Jesus, You are the head of our church. Jesus, you are the head of the church. You are the power of the church. You are the very love of the church. You are the giver of grace. You are the giver of truth. And there's every bone in our body just cries out to you today, Lord, we need you. I do pray for our kids. I do pray for our teenagers that They would be so rooted and grounded in you because they've not only seen it in their leaders and their teachers here at the church, but they've seen it in the very life of the church. They've seen adult after adult come to them and say, you matter to me. I'm praying for you. How can I pray for you? And we see the inner networks of these generational connections taking place, and our kids go, you're interested in me? And we say, yes, you're a part of us. I pray for our parents, Father. Oh, they need you today. They need you to to know when to have those faith conversations and to walk through the open doors that you give and the conversations that they have with their kids. And so, Father, we claim no ideas of our own to be worthy. We, We stand firm in our dependence upon you. And we invite you.